Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class on Sunday mornings, posted at 9.30 Central Daylight Time for all of those who cannot be with us in person at the church building on Sunday mornings at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Now, we're thankful to have the opportunity to be able, and also the ability and the means, to be able to broadcast God's Word, that is, teach it on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet by means of these podcasts. Now, we know that there are people in the Omaha area who cannot be with us in person at the church building, but there are also people listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world, and we're thankful to be able to teach God's Word through these podcasts on such a widespread basis. <clears throat> and we take this <clears throat> and we take this blessing seriously. We we want to <clears throat> excuse me, we want to live up to the responsibility that God has blessed us with and placed upon us by teaching his word accurately and effectively and powerfully to help souls, to help change lives, to help congregations. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we do encourage you to come and be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ at 9.30 each Sunday morning and followed by worship at 10.30, our evening worship service at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening, and midweek Bible classes on Wednesday evenings at at 6.30 p.m. You're always welcome. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street right here in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. Now, we encourage you, listening right now, to share these studies with everybody you can all the time. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. You know people in your life, virtually without question, who need to grow in their faith. They need to come closer to God. They need to turn their lives around They need to start thinking about eternity. Help them by sharing these studies with them on a regular basis through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, with your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around. You may help somebody come to God. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. Also encourage everyone you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. This is not just a free introductory offer. It always will be free. We don't charge people for teaching them the gospel. We want to help people get to heaven. We don't care about their wallets. Now, when, you, when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and which are being posted now on audio, in audio format, I'm sorry, in video format, as well as audio format. And they'll also receive our, week, our, our daily, Monday through Friday, radio program, Search the Scriptures. And what I think is really a marvel a daily seven-day-a-week short Bible study, today's Bible class. Only about 13 minutes every day. That's a short time, but we can fit that into our busy schedules almost without question any day. And that gets us into God's Word 
every single day. And again, that's how we develop and grow in our faith. So share with everybody you can. When they sign up for a podcasting, they will receive to their smart device all of these study resource materials. And they can also utilize on our website hundreds of sermons that they can download and listen to and hundreds of scripturally based and spiritually focused articles. Again, they can download those, read through those, study those, and again, it's always free. So share with everybody you can, every time you can. We're going to get back into our study in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. We've been working our way through, first, the early history, starting with the creation account, and then the early history of mankind, and then how God chose Abraham's bloodline to be that through which he would ultimately send the Savior into the world. And so Abraham and then his son Isaac and his son Jacob and then Jacob's 12 sons became the, the, the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel and the nation of Israel, that bloodline descending all the way back from Abraham would be that bloodline through which God would send Jesus as the Savior into this world. And we saw how the, the, that bloodline, the family of Jacob, while residing in Egypt for about 400 years, how that population grew into a large number of people, probably somewhere between one and three million, something, somewhere along those lines, we, I, I think we can safely estimate. And then God, in response to their prayers for deliverance, when Pharaoh came along who feared them, that they would join Egypt's enemies and revolt against them and take over the country, that particular Pharaoh put them into slavery, basically, made slaves of them. And so he oppressed them in a number of different ways, and they prayed to God, and God sent Moses and Aaron to lead them out of Egypt and to the land that God had promised to them through their forefathers going all the way back to Abraham. Now, that was at that time the land of Canaan, but as God would give that land to them, it would become the nation of Israel. Now, we have been looking at, as we're going through Exodus, Leviticus, and a great deal of numbers already, we have seen that on the way to that promised land, that the people, their faith continued to weaken. They were out in the wilderness now, and so they needed water. They needed food. Well, God provided both to them miraculously. When they got to the southern border of the promised land, the land of Canaan, that God wanted to give them and it would become the nation of Israel geographically, then they Moses sent 12 spies into the land. They came back, and initially they gave a good report of the land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. They brought back samples of the, of the, of the abundant produce. And then when it came down to kind of where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, all right, are we going to go in and start fighting the battles and, and conquering the people and driving them out and taking the land that God has prepared for us? And the people followed the ten try uh, the ten spies in their now turned negative report, 
those spies said, whoa, 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 we can't do this. We're not strong enough. We're not mighty enough. There's, there's mighty people over there. They've got big cities. The cities are fortified, and there are giants that live in that land. And so the people followed the report, that bad report. Now, initially, those 10 spies had given a good report. The land flows with milk and honey. Here, look at the abundant produce. But now they turned, they turned their backs on that, and they turned it into a negative report. Now, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, wait a minute. God will give us this land. We're well able to take it. Let's go right now and start conquering. But the people turned against Joshua and Caleb, and they followed the lead of those 10 spies giving their negative report. So that was another weak weakness, weakening in their faith, and God punished them by having them turn back into the wilderness and just having Moses lead them in one giant circle for the next 40 years until the entire adult generations of that people died off in the wilderness. And God would raise up their children, and they would be stronger in faith, and he would have Moses lead them back to the promised land. And the children of those adult generations, from 20 years old on and up, the children would become the generation of greater faith, and they would go in and conquer the land. Well, we find the the nation of Israel coming right up to the border of the promised land once again. Now, on the way, they're having to fight some battles because they're having to travel through some nations. They keep sending word ahead to the kings of those nations and saying, we need to come through your land, but we're not going to do any damage. If we do any damage, we'll we'll make it right. We're not coming to make war, to have any trouble. We just want to go through in peace. But there were a number of the kings who said, oh, ho, 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 no, 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 no. You're not coming through our land. And so they brought their armies against the Israelites to keep them from coming through their land. Well, God gave them victory after victory after victory. Now we come to King Balak of Moab, and he he hears what's been happening to those kings who were leading their armies against the Israelites and how God had defeated all of those kings. So Israel had beaten back those armies and basically gone through and taken possession of those lands, but that's not the lands they wanted. They weren't going to keep those lands, but they were conquering them as they were traveling to the border of the promised land. Well, Balak, the king of Moab, he, he feared the Israelites. He saw them, again, remember how large they are in population, probably somewhere between one and three million when you talk about the men, the women, and the children. And so he said, hey, you know, they're, they're too mighty. I, and I know what's been happening to these other kings who have gone to battle against them. Uh, so he comes up with a plan to, to summon a man of God, a seer, as, as he is called. I think we could probably say a prophet, you know, at least to some extent. But, but a man of God, a man who represents God. And this was, this was Balaam. So Balak, the king of Moab, his, 
his plan was to send for for Balaam, pay him to come to some particular point, probably up on a hillside or a cliff somewhere, look over this massive group of people who were Israel, and 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 he wanted Balak, he wanted Balaam to curse Israel, so that then Balak could take his army and defeat them. Well, at first, and so so Balak sends messengers, and he sends money. Balaam says uh, to those messengers, I can only say what God tells me to say. So Balaam recognizes, I'm a servant of God, and I cannot go beyond what God says, and I can't come up short of what God says. So he tells those messengers, spend the night and let me see what God tells me to do. Well, God said, uh, no, you, you, you don't say anything against the people of Israel. So Balaam tells the messengers, I cannot do what you want me to do. I know you want to pay me, but I, I, can't, I can't do what you, what you want me to do. So the messengers go back to King Balak, and Balak, he's not, he's, he's not you know, defeated in his plan, in his mind. He sends more noble or more prestigious messengers back with more money. And so this certainly is tempting to Balaam. Money, the devil can use that as a source of great temptation. And a lot of people have been taken in by that kind of temptation. They become so focused in the money that uh, they, and sometimes perhaps without even realizing it, or at least to the extent to which they do it, they turn away from God. They, they, they disobey God. Well, Balak, he sees these impressive messengers I'm sorry, Balaam, he sees these impressive messengers come from King Balak, and they've got this money, and probably it's something that could have made Balaam rich, wealthy. Well, he's tempted. So he tells these messengers again, um, spend the night, let's see what God says. And so God tells Balaam, if they want you to go and bless Israel, then you go with them. If they want you to curse Israel, you don't go. Well, Balaam, he just becomes overwhelmed with the temptation of the money. And so he starts out. The text seems to indicate that he starts out on his own. And so he's riding a donkey. And as we studied through chapter 22 of Numbers last time, He's riding the donkey, and, and God is upset with Balaam because he's disobeying him. God knows his heart. God knows what he's planning to do. He's going to try to curse Israel and make all this money. So God sends an angel to stand in the way of Balaam riding on the donkey to whatever the specific destination is at which perhaps he's going to try to curse Israel. Well, the donkey sees the angel. Balaam does not. And so the donkey turns aside. Balaam, he's upset with the donkey. He beats the donkey, gets him back on the road. The angel takes another position, and the donkey sees the angel again. He 
he runs up against a wall that's on the side of the road, and he crushes Balaam's foot, and Balaam's upset again. He whips the donkey again. And so the angel takes up another position, and he's got a sword drawn. Well, the donkey sees him again. He just lays down in the road. Balaam whips him again. Now, it's interesting that some people clearly see God's will. Maybe they've studied his word sufficient that they, they know what's, they, it's easy for them to see danger ahead, spiritual danger. It's easy for them to see the path that they need to take away from that danger. And other people, they're just so blind to the sinful direction that they're taking in life, they, they just go on blindly. Well, it's interesting that the donkey sees the angel in the road. Balaam does not see the angel from God, but he's supposed to be a man of God. And so he, he beats the donkey three times. Now the donkey speaks to, to, to Balaam. A donkey speaking to a man? You know, we're not talking about Dr. Doolittle here. You know, we're not talking about someone who supposedly a fictitious character who can talk to animals. We're talking about what's real. And so the donkey speaks to Balaam. He says, why have you beaten me these three times? And Balaam speaks back to the donkey like it's a normal thing to hear a donkey speak. <laughs> well, then the angel makes himself absolutely appeal, uh, appearing to, to Balaam. And the angel tells Balaam, if you had gone on, I would have slain you. The donkey saw me. You did not. The donkey laid down. Basically, that was the donkey saving Balaam's life at that particular moment in time. And so the angel says, uh, you know, if you had kept going, then you'd be dead right now. Well, we come down to verse 41 of chapter 22. So it was the next day that, that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of, of, of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. So Balaam goes on to Balak, but of course Balaam now, he's learned the lesson. So in verse 31 of chapter 22, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on, the, on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. And of course, the angel is speaking God's word to, to Balaam who's supposed to be a man of God. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Well, he never should have gone in the first place with the intent of his heart that he was going to possibly curse Israel. So Balaam says, now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men. So apparently the men are there, 
but you get the impression that Balaam and the donkey are kind of uh, alone there, but apparently the other men are there. I wonder what they're thinking of, of all of this. Maybe Balaam is simply going to catch up to those men. So the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. So they come to the point, the princes of Balak, the king of Moab, they lead him, Balaam, to Balak. And Balak takes Balaam to the high places of Baal, or Baal would be a more proper pronunciation, I believe. And this was a worship place for an idol. And there, there's the, the difference between the people of God who are worshiping God and recognizing that there is only one God. And here is this, this idolatrous king. He takes Balaam, a man of God, up to a place of worship to aid an idol. And he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. Now, Balak is thinking Balaam is going to curse Israel. He thinks he's gotten his way. He's persuaded him, bribed him, so to speak. Well, certainly paid him. That's what he's thinking. Well, Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. We're in chapter 23 now. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to, the desolate, to a desolate height. And God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, that is, God is saying, Balaam is saying to God, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. Okay, so here is Balaam's first prophecy. He has repented. He's going to do exactly as God instructs him now. He's learned his lesson. He almost died on that road because the angel was standing before him and the donkey. The donkey saw the angel. Balaam did not for a long time. Finally had his eyes opened. So Balaam returned to Balak, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, and he and all the princes of Moab. Again, Balaam, uh, Balak, the king of Moab, was probably you know, just thinking, okay, this is it, good deal. Here, I finally got Balaam on my side. He's going to curse Israel, and I'm going to be able to defeat them in battle. And so Balaam took up this oracle and said, now God has told Balaam, you only speak what I tell you to speak. So he took up this oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. That was what Balak asked Balaam to do. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? This is Balaam speaking God's words here. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? In other words, you want me to curse Israel, but how can I do that 
when God has not cursed Israel, and I can only say what God tells me to say, how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? In other words, how many of the population of Israel? Or the number, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like this. So Balaam basically is telling Balak, what he told him the first time. I can't say anything except God, what God tells me to say. I can't curse Israel because God has not cursed Israel. I cannot speak against them because God has not spoken against them. Verse 11 of chapter 23, then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. Balak's upset. What did I bring you here for? What did I send my messengers to you for? What did I send money to, 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 you know, to pay you off to do? So he, that is Balaam, answered and said to Balak, the king of Moab, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? You want me to say one thing, but God has told me to say something else, and that's what I need to speak. Well, Balaam's second prophecy. Then Balak's not given up. So Balak, the king, said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them, that is, the people of Israel, all the Israelites. You shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. So first, Balaam goes and Balak had taken him to see pretty much all of the expanse of the population of the Israelites. Again, huge number of people. And Balaam says, who can count them all? Who can number even a fourth of them? And so Balak, he's he's still thinking from a human perspective, and he says, okay, I'll take you to another place, and I'll, I'll, I'll let, where you can only see the outer rim of the Israelites. You won't have to see all of them. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and ram on on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him and there he was standing by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to, the, to him, what has the Lord spoken? Now, he's, he's expectant again. He's you know, thinking, good news? Then he took up his, or, this, his oracle and said, so now Balaam is speaking to Balak. Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Whatever God says, in other words, he's going to do. He's not like mankind. You can hang your hat on what God says. Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So Balaam's telling Balak, 
look, you want me to do something I cannot do. I cannot undo what God does. I cannot unsay what God says. God has blessed Israel, so I cannot curse it. I cannot reverse his blessing. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. There's no sorcery against Jacob. Now, you might say, wait a minute, what, didn't they do a whole lot of ungodly things in the wilderness? Didn't they challenge God and challenge Moses and, and Aaron over and over again? Didn't, didn't they show a weak faith? That was the adult generations that died out in the wilderness. This is a new generation now that God is bringing to the promised land. The children of those weak-faithed adult generations. So Balaam is describing them in, in mighty terms. Um, God brings them out of Egypt. He, that is the Israelites, they have strength like a wild ox. There is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. It, it now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. He has basically cleansed the people by allowing those weak-faithed adult generations to die out over the past 40 years. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Well, very descriptive language that... Balaam is using to tell Balak, you need to go back home. I cannot do what you want me to do. God has blessed Israel. And the best thing for you to do is just go back home, get in your palace, leave the road open for them to pass through. Don't give them any problem. Then Balak said to Balaam, "Neither he must be getting frustrated at this time. Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. In other words, just, just don't, okay, if you're not going to curse them, don't bless them either. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you saying, all that the Lord speaks, that I must do? So Balaam's third prophecy. Then Balak said to Balaam, please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars, prepare for me here seven bulls or seven and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now, can you figure out what is going to happen in this third prophecy? Balaam's going to bless Israel again. Balak needs to learn the lesson. You cannot stand against God. You just can't. And so Balaam keeps telling him, I can only say what God tells me to say. You want me to curse Israel? I can't do it if God tells me to bless Israel. So that's where we're at as we'll pick up chapter 24 next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
you are the almighty God. You are the loving God. We learn about love from you. You are the blessing giver of all blessings, true blessings. And Father, you are all wise and all knowing, and you want the best way for us. Help us to open our eyes and submit our will to your will so that we can live in that best way and thereby reap all of the benefits and blessings that you have waiting for us. Help people see the foolhardiness of not walking with you, of rebelling against you. Help them see and then come to you in repentance, Father, we pray. Help us to learn from these stories that you have written down for us in your word that should teach us faith and faithfulness. All glory and honor and praise be to you, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer, gracious Father. In Jesus' name, amen.